Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Emily Spur. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now at Final Draft, we're dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week, we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Now, to SCR broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is stolen land, unceded land. Treaty has never been made in Australia. Now, today on the show, I am going to introduce you to Emily Spur. Emily is a debut novelist. She was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Unpublished Manuscript Award, uh, a manuscript that has evolved into, uh, well, she's joining me today. She's got her debut novel. It's called A Million Things. Now, Ray is pretty self-sufficient for a 10-year-old. She's got a school lunch packed, house is clean, backyard's a bit of a mess. She's always on time at school, nothing out of place, and she's always got time for her dog splinter. In fact, until the money in the bank account runs out, no one needs to know that her mum's not around. Letty next door could be a problem, though. She's always on her porch, just sitting and watching the neighbourhood. If Letty notices Ray's on her own, there could be trouble. But Letty, well, Letty's got problems of her own. So today we've got part one of my conversation with Emily Spur. And we're going to begin with this idea of community. And we're going to meet Ray. We're going to meet Letty. And unforgettably, we are going to meet Ray's dog, Splinter. Join me as we discover Emily Spur's A Million Things. Emily, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on Final Draft. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be here. Now, I'm going to introduce a million things, but I kind of want to, I, I feel like we've got this great secret and I want to let people know that off air, we've had a fabulous conversation about all the things we can't say about a million things. People are going to want to tune in and then catch up on the podcast where we might, we might release some spoilers. But it's important to start with Ray. She's pretty self-sufficient for a 10-year-old. She's got her school lunch packed. She's cleaning the house. The backyard's a bit of a mess, but look, she's always got time for her dog splinter. In fact, until the money in her mum's bank account runs out, no one needs to know that Ray's on her own. Mum's not around at the moment. Letty next door, she could be a problem though. She's always on her porch, just sitting and watching. If she notices Ray's on her own, there could be some trouble. But Letty's got problems of her own. All right. Now, I tried so many ways to find out just the best way to start our conversation. And I changed it seemingly with every turn of the page. Reaching the end of A Million Things, I've decided that this is a book about community. It's a book about how we support each other. It's a book about how we love each other. And we can't talk about that support without knowing a little bit more about your characters. So let's start with Ray. She's extremely resourceful for her age, but that's not really the point because, you know, 10-year-olds shouldn't have their entire day on their shoulders. Can you tell me, tell me about Ray, you know, a year before the, the, the book starts? Who is, who is this kid? Oh, yeah, I like that. Who is Ray? Okay, a year before the book starts. Um, it's Ray and her mum. Um, it's just the two of them. Her mum um, is not super well. Um, 
she is very up and down in her mood and her ability to be a good mum, though she does love her daughter very, very fiercely. Um, and their life um, is really very insular. It's the two of them and the dog. Um, they keep people out deliberately because uh, outsiders um, often bring trouble. Um, they've had run-ins with the Department of Health and Human Services before um, and they really want to fly under the radar. So Ray has her mum a year before this and it's um, quite a turbulent existence as well as being quite quiet. Uh, her mum looks after her as best she can but I think it's quite clear that Ray also looks after her mum um, and there's as much um, parenting, I think, on both sides of that relationship. So uh, she is quite independent, has a lot of responsibility, um, but is is very um, protective um, and and really needs her mum as well because she's the only other person, real person, in her life. Now, at that point in time, a year before the book starts. I'm guessing Ray and her mum didn't know Letty that well. And Letty probably wasn't going to let too many people into her life. But as you constantly remind us in the book, as we get to know Letty, as as Letty and Ray get to know each other, Letty has lived a whole life before we meet her as the woman sitting on her porch enjoying a cuppa. And Letty firmly, she stands up for her right to kind of, you know, choose the life that she lives but she's also confronted by responsibilities that she may have in her community. Who is, who is Letty? Does Letty come from someone that you know or is, is Letty purely from an imaginative space? A bit of both, I think. I don't, I don't know anyone who is Letty. Um, I grew up with a lot of very strong older female role models in the form of aunts and family friends and things like that. Um, I don't think any of them are Letty. Um, perhaps there's aspects of Letty in, in different aspects of Letty in a few of them. Um, she, she kind of just kicks her way into the book in, in a very fully formed, um, function. Um, I don't, I don't think I'm Letty either, but I, I think there might be a fair amount of Letty in me as well. Um, I love, um, I love that she, you know, who she is and, and, and how she functions. And I, I often find um, that older women are not fleshed out fully um, in novels. It's not to say they're not there. Of course they are. And, and there are lots of examples of, of wonderful older women. But um, I think with women in particular, um, when uh, women reach a certain age, they are somewhat erased. Um, and not as visible or not as seen, perhaps, um, which works in Letty's favour in many ways um, because that's kind of what she wants. Um, but also, you know, she has had a rich, full life um, and, and, you know, a traumatic life um, in many ways as well. Um, but I think... That she needed, she could never. She, so I'm just loving your cat at the moment. Um, she could never be um, a shallow character because 
then she wouldn't fulfil the need um, that Ray had, I think. So she always had to be quite um, quite fully formed and, and three-dimensional. Um, and I really loved writing her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's quite complex and, and she has, as, as you know, all good people do, um, lots of contradictions. Um, and the relationship between Letty and Ray in that book was probably one of the bright things. It, the book is quite um, dark. Um, and it's certainly one of the, you know, the bright beacons of hope um, that really kept me going during the darker moments in the book. Mm. I will just acknowledge to the listeners that, yes, uh, one of my cats has decided to join us and um, and whack its tail into the <laughs> and microphone. And she's beautiful. <laughs> and she's, she's beautiful and she may jump in with a question. But I'm, I'm just going to follow up on what you were saying there because – this idea of, of older women being erased, you take us through, with Ray's point of view, confronting this idea that, that Letty can be so many different things. And Ray, Ray has an idea, Letty begins as the old goat, and then she becomes um, a, a sweeter, older neighbour that Ray starts to relate to. But of course, Letty has layers, and you you take us you you very deliberately confront us with this this prejudice, this stereotype that we have that people are only their surface, and you drip feed us Letty. How how well did you have to know Letty to know who she was going to be in each of those circumstances for Ray? I think um, in the writing process, um, uh, I kind of discovered Letty as I wrote the novel. Um, and those layers kind of revealed themselves to me as I as I wrote it. Um, I didn't really plan out her character in that way, so she kind of developed quite organically. Um, and and as the surface of things, I think their relationship mirrors each other a, a little bit. Um, in that, you know, when you're a younger person and you see an older person, they're just an older person, and their their backstory in their lives isn't something real. Um, and I think as adults, we perhaps also view children in a more two-dimensional way too. Um, we forget, I think, and I'm guilty of this, um, how complex they are um, and how how mature their thinking gets quite young um, and how deep, deeply they, they think and feel. Um, and they sort of get erased as just kids um, mm. and, and their experience isn't given the weight perhaps that it deserves. And I feel the same thing happens with, with older people. Um, so in that sense, they kind of explored each other and were forced to see each other as humans mm. rather than a kid and an older lady. Um, and And again, I mean... The book was quite traumatic at times to write, but it was um, quite traumatic again, at times I mean, to read. Touch- <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that's. I mean, I keep coming back to this. That was my that was my touchstone. Um, the unfolding relationship between those two and how they they gradually um, would give each other glimpses of the layers beneath um, was just an absolute joy to write. Really. Yeah. It was so interesting what you were saying there about the ways we can 
uh, perhaps superficially view children, maybe even underestimate them. Um, my wife is a teacher. I'm a I'm a pediatric speech pathologist, so we work with kids all the time. And it was it was just this morning we were having <clears throat> having a conversation where we were kind of reflecting on historical views of childhood and and how it, there were there have been times predominantly throughout history where where children were kind of viewed as half formed adults. They were they were in this gestational period, but they they weren't quite adults. So that's that's the origins of how we underestimate them. And we came to the conclusion that it, at least in our modern society now, it's it's completely flipped, and adults are just overcooked kids. Um, <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with that 100. Yeah, um, I feel like an overcooked kid. Yeah. And perhaps that's why it was so easy to relate to Ray. Like you know, I'm one of those weird people that remember a lot from my childhood, and I remember how I used to think, and I'm like. You know, there, there isn't a moment where a kid suddenly becomes a, a grown-up um, and this is this is childish thinking and this is adult thinking. I mean, I think that that's kind of always there to a degree, that, that mature thinking. I, I think the richness of that thinking is relatively consistent throughout our lifespan and it, it, it is actually just the topics that we have to think about. And the weight that we place on our own thinking, we, we, we tend to prejudice our own thinking and think, well, if I'm thinking it, it must be pretty important. Um, <laughs> and kids just don't have the power. I want to move now, thinking about your characters and those relationships, I, I would be remiss if I left out Splinter. Splinter is Ray's dog, her constant companion, just such a beautiful, perfect animal, except when he gets into the blood and bone. Can, can I ask you a little bit about writing animals and their role as, as non-speaking characters, communicating the relationships, communicating what's happening for them? The wonderful thing about writing animals, I think, is because they are so physical um, and um, they're, um, you know, not being a dog, I can't really talk to being a dog, but I imagine um, that the experience and, and the thoughts and everything are so physical and based in the world. So when you're writing people, um, there's a lot that go, goes on emotionally that, that you show in shades and, and, and colours and, you know, you try and layer. And when it comes to a dog um, or an animal, um, it feels a lot more straightforward. Um, you know, the dog's helicoptering his tail, you know, he's happy. Um, they, they make noises. You know, anyone with a pet knows their pet's particular noises that is, you know, a happy sound or a scared sound or a don't you dare sound. Um, and being able to have the freedom just to write a character physically um, was really um, refreshing. Um, and I think, you know, when you grow up with pets too, I grew up and we had, you know, dogs and cats and you know, birds and various things, um, the relationships you form with animals just generally in your life, but especially as a kid, are really profound. Um, and whether we anthropomorphize or not, I mean, I can't really speak to that, but anthropomorphize, I should say, um, we do tend to feel like they understand. And they do seem to understand. You know, I remember being a kid and being really upset and my dog just came and sat next to me and, you know, just sat there and, you know, was happily doing something else. And 
um, and would just keep me company. And there's something really um, pure about that and, and that, um, that way of experiencing the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed riding the dog and I enjoyed approach, approaching um, that character because it, it felt, while not simplistic, in many ways it felt straightforward and very, um, you know, it was primary colours as opposed to pastels, you know, which was, it was, I enjoyed doing that too. Oh, I made this book sound like fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> Splinter, Splinter is absolutely magnificent and I wonder... Um, reflecting on some of the things that we shared off air, whether Splinter in some way becomes a proxy for the reader in that Splinter is is kind of going along with Ray and with Letty and joins in, enjoys the enjoyable moments, maybe gets confused at the at the more stressful moments, but ultimately has less agency. And as a reader, we we have no agency in the novel. We we can scream at the page. We can guess. And again, we've talked about some of the very particular readings of A Million Things, but we don't we, – we move with Splinter because we know whatever's going to happen is, is probably going to happen no matter what we do in the circumstances. And we got it. We can't talk too much about Splinter, as you can make me cry. Um, <laughs> oh, we can talk about Splinter as well. I hadn't considered that to be honest, and I really like it. I'm going to go with, yeah. Um, I like that. I really like that reading of it. Um, and, yeah, that wasn't sort of that wasn't the forefront of my mind when I was doing it, um, but I think you've, you've nailed something there. Perhaps, perhaps that's, you know, one of the elements that, that cause I know, I mean, I've spoken to quite a few people now that have read my book and, and Universal and the reaction to it, uh, uh, other than, you know, ugly crying, um, is um, this real connection with Splinter um, and this real, um, I mean, I've, I've had text messages from friends reading the book partway through and they're like, if anything happens to the dog, I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> um, so there's quite a strong connection there. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe Splinter is us. Maybe Splinter is the reader and that lack of agency, but, you know, but the investment that, that you have when you read a book and, um, and you'll, you know, you're really um, connected to what's happening, um, but also removed. Mm, I like that. I think we could take a deep dive that would probably we we this would become. You know, people would be like, "I'm going to go out and read that dog book that Andrew and Emily were talking about." <laughs> but I want to come back to these ideas of community because you raise some really important questions about community in the. Well, in, across the relationships in the book, and I think you actually, I don't know whether this was intentional, but are modelling ways of being in a community, which is is so incredibly interesting for all of us, I think, in, in the world over the last 12 months as we've had to reframe and re-understand and, and perhaps for many of us move and reconnect with community. A particular relationship I'm just going to draw out on now is Ray's relationship with Oscar, who's a boy who lives down the road. Oscar seems lonely, but Ray is wary of his his constant attention. He's kind of always hanging around and seems like he doesn't have friends. Oscar is also always parroting his mum's opinions about the neighbourhood. And as such, he is being highly critical of Letty 
without really knowing Letty, he he keeps at arm's distance. And what I found really conspicuous um, is the way they perform their neighbourly attention. Oscar is at arm's length commenting and his mum is at arm's length commenting without ever, without ever making that first approach. Now, Ray and Letty become great friends, but that's... That's not a foregone conclusion. There's a very particular event that that sparks that relationship, and I mean, it felt like it felt like something that a lot of us have gone through, knowing that we're in a community and that we're we're very close to that community without always being connected. Did you have community at the forefront of your mind as you were writing these interactions? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I really did. Um, that's something um, that's quite close to my heart. I think. Um, the connection um, and the sense of enemy and not being connected, um, the importance of community, I think we um, forget that. Um, and, you know, I moved to Melbourne many, 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 many years ago now and I have moved around a lot. Um, and as, you know, a lot of, a lot of you know, I'm a bit older now, <laughs> stuck in one spot. Um, but as, you know, most, most people's experience, I think, growing up now, it's a lot of share houses and, moving and, you know, living in 20 different suburbs and, you know, the renting experience, which is um, often for absolutely nothing within your control, you know, the rent goes up or, you know, they just they don't renew your lease or, you know, you get evicted because they want to do something for the house. Um, that sense of community can be really hard to build and I think, you know, we have a lot of... Um, we don't have the home ownership that we used to have, which means that you don't have that deep centered, deep, really roots that you lay, lay down and, and um, get to know your community in the same way because hanging over you is that, you know, you're going to have to move or they're going to move. or um, And there are moments still during that journey, and I certainly had them, where you do make deep connections with people um, and you do stay in touch um, and... I think kids help with that a lot. I mean, you know, after I had kids, um, those neighbourly relations became a lot more important to me. Um, but we we do still have this sense, and, and you're right, I mean, the last year we've had, I think everyone's got to know their neighbours a little bit better. Um, but one thing I find quite delightful about the inner west of Melbourne is that, um, sure, you know, it's the inner city and it's busy um, and there's, you know, a lot of... Um, you know, high turnover, no one stays living in the same place too long um, in certain areas. Um, but there is a real sense of community there as well um, and acceptance. People are kind of just accepted for who they are. Um, and I'm sure there are lots of other communities like that um, around Melbourne. Um, but that was where I really first felt embraced, I suppose. Um, but even within that wonderful sense of community, there's you still have the sense that there are lines, you know, there, there are borders and barriers that you don't cross um, and you look out for people but there's a sense that perhaps you, sh- you, shouldn't, get too, you shouldn't get too involved or, you know, where is the line? Um, if I'm concerned about them, what do I do? Um, and I think it's entirely plausible that, that a kid who's 10 um, and is quite, quite used to having to look after herself um, could go you know, significant period of time and people not look too deeply 
because as long as the appearance is okay, as long as, you know, she's going to school, um, she looks neat and tidy, she's fed, you know, homework gets done, um, the front yard looks neat. Um, people, you know, we all have such hectic schedules. You might not see your neighbour coming and going and going to work for weeks at a time. Um, and that's, um, I think, I think we potentially lose something when we lose sight of community. Um, and I think loneliness is such a, a big issue in our society at the moment. And I think part of that is this uncertainty about how we connect as a community in a geographical location um, and how we connect to our neighbours or not. Um, so those things were definitely at the forefront of my mind when I was writing because they're things that I think are really important and things that I, I want, I, I like to think about and, and I want other people to think about as well. Um, and I'm sure people do. Um, and I kind of feel if that's something that, that I'm so um, passionate about and interested in that I feel like a lot of people are um, and that that's not a unique experience of mine. I think everyone kind of has that that need. You have a deep need to belong and a deep need to have community, um, but we don't have um, those uh societal guides anymore about how we do that mm. um, and I guess that's part of where the story came from you know how do we do that um, and and when we have hello sorry the cat's in again I know. So beautiful. <laughs> and um, and you know how, how do we do that now um, and I think that's a, a question um, that you know deserves some time to think about I guess you also. Sorry, I went on a bit of a ramble there. <laughs> not at all. I mean, this is an incredibly. This is uh, this is what I connected so much with in a million things, and I felt like you were also complicating some of the ways that we we exist in a community because both Ray and both Ray and Letty, in their in their ways, want to want to choose to exist in their community from uh, I guess a, a self-deterministic individualistic model and they have their reasons for that but it can really echo uh, I guess a broader cultural movement that you know we we are masters of our own destiny we we can do what we want if we put our mind to it in a way that makes us separate from community now the flip side of that is yeah. Is is Oscar and his mum Lucy who who seem very community focused but they're they're performative and they're at arm's length. And it seems like both want to have a sense of the community without the effort, without the, the, the messy stuff of connection, which is ultimately where we get hurt. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's right. Um, you know, I think particularly in, you know, Western society at the moment and for a while, quite a while now, there's been this real um, emphasis on the individual and, and, you know, my rights and, um, uh, you know, my right to do what I want and be what I want, um, which is, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, um, but I think that loses sight of the fact that at, at the heart of things, I think humans are very social animals. And when we lose that connection, that's where things start to go awry. Um, you know, loneliness is a, a physically painful experience, um, and for a reason. You know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, you know, 
psychologist. Um, but I would suggest um, that, you know, the reason for that is, you know, you need your tribe around you um, because, you know, that's how you get your food security and, and your childcare and your family and your safety and, and all of that. And, and to feel when you're alone that physical pain, and I think it really is. I mean, that's not different to being alone, it's lonely. So when the loneliness is the, 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 the malaise. Um, I think that's our body's way of trying to get us back into the fold um, and back into safety, which is in some sort of community. And I think, um, you know, um, particularly, I mean, mental illness is a really big theme in this in this novel. And I think loneliness and mental illness go hand in hand. And they're this awful spiral that feed into each other because loneliness hurts, right? Um, it, it's deep psychological pain um, and I think if we don't have a solution or a way to, to plug into some, some community or some way to uh, have a balm for that loneliness um, I think it very easily spirals into depression and anxiety and depression and anxiety by their very nature are isolating which causes more loneliness and I think a lot of, of what we're seeing um, in our society at the moment is because of this lack of connection um, and this this feeling that we don't know where to start um, to make it and to do it. Um, so you have characters like Lucy and and, and Oscar um, and they're making the right noises um, and, you know, but they're not getting too involved um, because they do have, I think, this sense that community is important but also they don't quite it's scary, you know, <laughs> doing the right thing. And and also um, I think, you know, perhaps we see them a little bit from Ray's perspective too. And from Ray's perspective, they're dangerous um, and they're a threat to her existence um, and the very carefully crafted um, facade that she's put up. Um, they're, you know, they're going to come in with their good intentions and the whole thing's going to crumble. Um, and then she's going to have to face what she's, you know, built the facade not to have to look at. Right? Mm. I think she just can't face, um, which is her, her mother being gone. And um, so I think from that sense, we do, we she's had this experience with the HHS um, and she sees them through how her mother saw them, which was interfering. There's no genuine care there. They're just there to make trouble for us. Mm. Um, and I think that, that's how we, as the readers, experience um, Lucy and Oscar as well. And I think, um, I hope, towards the end, at their heart, we see that there is actually genuine concern there. Um, and, you know, um, it, it was not Ray's worst nightmare in that they were just meddling to be difficult. They were genuinely um, wanting to help um, and I suppose that's it. I think when you're stuck in, in, in a situation where everything feels a threat, people reaching out to you um, is seen suspiciously because of the headspace that you're in. Um, and I think that's probably something that's quite common um, with a, a lot of mental illnesses, I think, um, and something that I think Ray has, has picked up from living with her mum um, who has suffered quite... Um, terribly um, with mental ill health. 
I think we could probably we could probably craft a whole different interview around the the masterful way you take us into Ray's point of view and and you hold us there and and what that might actually be doing to a true reading of the events of a million things. That's it for this great conversation with Emily Spur. Emily's debut novel is A Million Things. It's out now from Text Publishing. That was part one of the conversation. Stay tuned. Get uh, get ready for part two, where we're going to go deeper into the story of the novel. And there's going to be a few spoilers. So keep your eyes out for part two if uh, you haven't read A Million Things yet. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is pro- produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. If you subscribe in your podcast app, there will be a new Great Conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more Great Conversations from Final Draft. Until then, I wish you happy reading. Bye now.